Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Championing the core conservative principles of limited government, individual liberty, free enterprise, and traditional values. This is the John Whitmer Show on 98.7 and 1330 KNSS. American girls and American guys, we'll always stand up and salute. We'll always recognize when we see old glory flying. There's a lot of men dead. So we can sleep in peace at night when we lay down our heads. Welcome back to the John Whitmer Show on 98.7 and 1330 KNSS. Wichita's number one talk, sponsored by Wink Hartman and the Hartman Group of Companies. You can always listen to us by downloading the Odyssey app or by telling your smart speaker to play KNSS radio. And make sure you like and share the John Whitmer Show on Facebook and, of course, follow me on Twitter, at John R. Whitmer. That's the best way to stay informed on all the latest show updates. So the Taliban continue to retake areas of Afghanistan, the culmination of an insurgent offensive that has overrun dozens of rural districts and forced the surrender and capture of hundreds of government forces. The setbacks come at a harrowing moment for Afghanistan, just as American and international troops are set to leave the country in coming weeks. Joining us now to talk about the dangerous situation brewing in the region is Jeff Slosher. He is a retired Army Major General who commanded the 101st Airborne Division for 33 months, including 15 months in combat in Afghanistan. In his 34-year Army career, he served in Afghanistan, Iraq, Kosovo, Albania, Kuwait, Haiti, Jordan, Korea, and twice in Germany. He was an assistant division commander in the 101st Airborne Division in Iraq from 2003 to 2004, the first global war on terrorism planning director in the Pentagon after 9-11, and the first deputy director at the National Counterterrorism Center for Strategic Operational Planning. An aviator, General Slosher commanded two battalions of the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment and a brigade task force in Albania and Kosovo. Wow, that's a, a long resume and, and far too good for this darn show. General, first off, thank you for your service to our country, and, and thank you for joining us this evening. Well, it's really a pleasure, and uh, John, thanks for having me on the show. So uh, you, uh, I, it's an honor to have you on the show, General. And I, I want to start with this. Last month, 
the the general who commanded U.S. and allied troops in Afghanistan and later served as the director of the CIA, General David Petraeus, just, I mean, he pulled no punches. He slammed the Biden administration's handling of the withdrawal from Afghanistan, telling CNN, quote, I fear that we will look back and regret the decision to withdraw. Do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I do, John. I mean, you know, so I know General Petraeus real well. I was his deputy in Iraq, as you mentioned, uh, you know, serving there in 2003 and four, And he's quite a strategic thinker, and I totally agree. I mean, I think... Uh, I hate to be pessimistic, I and mean, this is going to sound quite uh, pessimistic, but uh, what we've done uh, by creating a date certain and then basically leaving with uh, all of our NATO allies and uh, taking all of the advisors out, we have set the Afghan army up for failure, and uh, uh, we should expect them to fail. I mean, that's just what's going to happen, and unfortunately, then the picture gets much more grim, and I can paint that out for you. With the next year or two in Afghanistan is going to be pretty stark. It, it's just unfortunate to see this playing out the way it has. I mean, just weeks after President Biden announced he would be withdrawing U.S. troops from Afghanistan, an Afghan translator who had helped the U.S. Army was beheaded by the Taliban. Uh, you know, many news outlets are now reporting that Russia is seeking to forge ties with the Taliban as as U.S. troops leave Afghanistan. I mean, isn't that something the administration should have anticipated? It's like they just, they're phoning it in or they just figure, ah, this thing's out of, let's get out of there and, and not have to deal with it. You know, no, I think that uh, they should have uh, one, been watching, you know, the, that last beheading was uh, just the 300. Well, there were 299 of those before, Ugh. if anybody's been counting. 300 translators have been killed over the last few years uh, by the Taliban seeking revenge. It's part of, uh, you know, they live by a revenge code. Uh, and it's not just the interpreters and translators. They're going to go after their families as well. Um, the other part of this, though, is, is yeah, by setting a, st- a certain date like that and then not setting the conditions correctly, uh, by continuing to have their support for a lengthy period of time. In fact, we could have just told the Taliban, until you uphold your side of the, uh, what you said you would do, we're going to continue to bomb the crap out of you. Excuse my language. Um, and we could have left a, just a handful, literally, you know, really about 2,000 advisors there to uh, help strengthen the Afghan army where they're the weakest, which is logistics and setting up air support. Uh, to make sure, you know, that the support is in the right location. We, we literally, uh, you know, that that's not a lot, John. I mean, and, you know, the, our, Ameri- our American military is willing to serve overseas. We have thousands in Germany, thousands in Japan, thousands in South Korea, long after those wars. And we still have thousands in Kuwait to ensure Kuwaiti uh, uh, freedom, you know. So this is not too much to ask. Unfortunately, it looks like this was a very ill-advised departure. Uh, withdrawal, retreat, however you want to say it. So why? I mean, what, what what would you think the Biden administration's thought process was to pull out the way they did, pull out so quickly? And I will ask you, you said you think you can predict what's going to happen. What do you think will will happen within that next 18 months to two years? Well, the first, yeah, for the first part of the question, I, I must say I'm not an advisor to, to this administration. And I have no idea. I do know the, the senior military leaders, and I believe that they were given an opportunity to, to um, talk about uh, how they what, what their advice was. I seriously doubt that what's occurring now was their military advice. So I, it must be a very deeply personal decision within the leadership of our country. Um, 
what's going to happen? Okay, I'm, and again, hold on to your seat. But uh, so what's happening right now is just a, you know, a beginning. So right now we have three provincial capitals. Think of um, uh, Wichita. You know, it's the same thing. Provinces there are the same size as states, essentially. So uh, three of them are being attacked directly by the Taliban. You know, they've already run overrun about roughly half of the district centers. Those are counties. Uh, within Afghanistan. This has occurred just since the announcement of the, the, this date certain uh, of the end of August. You see the Afghan army folding in many places, the special operations forces, which are really quite very good as long as they have air support, but that's dwindling, are just exhausted. And so you see the militia being called out. Uh, you know, tribal militias have long been part of, for thousands of years, been part of the Afghan fab- fabric. They're going to go out and fight the Taliban themselves. But then, again, you know, this, these are people on flip-flops and uh, using old uh, Kalashnikovs from World War II and the Soviet experience. They're not, uh, they're not trained soldiers. They're not well-equipped. They'll do their best, but they won't be able to hold the Taliban forces. The civil war could go on for a very long time until Kabul falls. But meanwhile, you're going to see these provincial capitals, including Kandahar, um, retaken by the Taliban. What's going to happen during that time frame is is there's going to be a lot of revenge and you're going to see a lot of killings. We won't hear much about it because the first folks to go will be the journalists. They either have to flee or be killed themselves. Um, You know, and uh, you're going to see a refugee problem. You're already starting to see it. Turkey squawking. A few others are. Um, uh, You're going to see refugees coming pouring out of Afghanistan. This won't just be the educated elite. This will be anybody with a future, Uh, you know, whether it's young business men and women selling stuff on the side of their street all the way on out to uh, university grads. I mean, the good thing and maybe the bad thing that we provided to Afghanistan, we provided a whole generation with a future. You know, since 9-11, they've been able to go to school, both men and and women, young boys and young girls, and actually get an education. They thought they would have rights, and they've had rights for 20 years to be whatever they wanted to be. Now that's all in deep question. And the Taliban clearly will not allow females to go back into the university. They, they've been ordering women to go back to the home, and they can't come out unless they have a male companion. Read That's their father, their husband, or their brothers. Um, and they, when they do go out, they have to wear a burqa, which is essentially a blue sheet that goes from top of your head to the bottom of your feet. And there's not even a place really for the eyes. You have to look through the linen. Hmm. That's pretty grim, but that's what's going to happen. And, and in the sidelines, Al Qaeda is going to come back. And they already are part of the coattails of the Taliban. The Taliban never broke off from Al Qaeda, but Al Qaeda is a transnational uh, threat to the United States. They will start planning, start training, and no doubt start to try to execute operations against the United States and our allies. There you have it in a nutshell. Wow. It, and see, this is just, you know, it's it's like this administration just doesn't want to deal with it. So well, we'll pull out and you know leave it for other administrations, kick the, you know, kick the can down the road. We're talking with Major General Jeff Slosher. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I wanted to ask you about it, and I I get this is a sensitive topic. Uh, recently, General Milley has, you know, had to defend the U.S. military's teaching, uh, you know, critical race theory and some other rather woke um, topics of late. They've kind of incorporated that. I'm curious. I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with the story. It just seems like, again, you know, we're focusing on areas that maybe we shouldn't be taking the military into 
I don't know if you're familiar with the story at all, but is that something that really the military should be delving into critical race theory in the U.S. military? You know, I've heard the I've heard the reports. I, I must say, I know General Milley very well. If you read Marathon War, you'll find out he's one of the uh, two deputy commanding generals there with me in Afghanistan, and he's a man of honor and man of integrity. I mean, I can't speak to what you know what kind of a position he's been put into uh, by this administration. So let me just say how I feel. I mean, I think. Uh, you know, what we want our military to do is protect our country. And so to do that, you've got to train and you've got to uh, uh, work with the people that we have, the citizens, uh, you know, that can get in the military. Only about 25 percent can qualify for the military these days because of obesity, opioid use and the criminal records of, and all the like. You take that 25 percent and, and they're going to look like America. They're diverse. It's a great, diverse lot. I mean, it, it's the, all the goodness of America, both men and female and women. Uh, and you train, but you train for combat. You train for, you know, deterring from war and stuff of that nature. I'm not a big fan of having a social economic experiment uh, happening within our military at the time. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's it's already diverse. Can we be more diverse? Absolutely. Can we have more senior-ranking officials uh, or officers that uh, reflect the diversity? Absolutely. But as far as getting into this uh, social things, I'm not a big fan of that. It does seem a little counterintuitive. I'm glad you brought up the book. It's a new book that just came out called Marathon War, Leadership in Combat in Afghanistan. I was able to read a little bit about just some excerpts and a few things. It, It seems like it's got some great insights into, in particular, into the thought processes of the leaders at the time, you know, George W. Bush and, and, and I mean, fascinating book. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, you know, I wrote it, you know, because uh, it finally struck me. I was, you know, I, at night I would write these, you know, write into my journal what I had done during the day. And, and so I was rereading that because uh, people were asking me about uh, my time in Afghanistan after I retired. And, uh, you know, there were days when I would be advising uh, President Bush. I mean, you know, for a position, for a, pers- a two-star in my position, that was rare. But I had been the previous advisor uh, in my job as the deputy director at the National Counterterrorism Center, so I knew the president. He would come to Afghanistan, or we would do what's called a secure video teleconference, and I was advising the president. I'd be advising. I I spoke to uh, Secretary Gates and General Petraeus, Admiral Mullen, who was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs at the time. Every two weeks, I briefed them for about an hour on what was happening in Afghanistan. And then I would fly out and same day, John, I would fly out to be up with my troops, and I would I could be out there with 30, I could be out there with 10 uh, troops on the say the frontier between Pakistan and Afghanistan, a desolate area but highly dangerous. And it would just be me with a couple guards, making sure that I didn't get killed that day. Um, and we would go through what they had been fighting with and what they had seen, and maybe even be mortared or whatever while while I was there. And then that evening, you know, we had a vast area. I had a hundred different. Uh, uh, locations where my troops were throughout the country. That night, we would go back and we'd uh, have to say goodbye to one or two that were killed that day. And mm. their coffins would be, be placed into an aircraft, and uh, we would say prayers over them, and off they'd go in the dark. And then I'd finally go back to my office and write a letter to their families, trying to place that in context why they, their service was honorable. And that just hit me as that's strategic, it's operational, it's tactical, it's deeply personal. And I decided to write a book about it so that the American people could understand what we do when we go into these wars and what it takes out of both the individuals as well as what it demands from families. 
Uh, General, I, I I can't only imagine uh, that. I mean, the, just the personal nature of that story right there. I, I thank you for sharing it. The book again is called Marathon War: Leadership in Combat in Afghanistan. You know, I I served in our state legislature. I've collected challenge coins from law enforcement and from military. Uh, but you know, you hear a story like that where you had to write those letters. I, I can only imagine. Um, thank you again for joining us this evening, General. Again, the book is called Marathon War, Leadership in Combat in Afghanistan. It's available on Amazon. Um, thank you for joining us, uh, General, and, and, uh, carry on the fight, brother. I, I appreciate you. Yeah, John, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on the show and thanks for talking about the book. Now that's an American hero. We'll be taking your calls at 845. In the meantime, coming up after the break, Nick Staley from the Foundation for Government Accountability will share with us the results of their survey. Democrats aren't going to like it. You're listening to The John Whitmer Show on 98.7 and 1330 KNSS, Wichita's number one talk. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 